And the year is 2006. I'm Dave. I'm Charlotte. And this is My Marvelous Year. Yeah, the community podcast and reading club where we go through all of the Marvel Universe from its origins to today. I'm Charlotte, your coming book rainbow belt. And today I'm joined by someone who has the incredible power of turning people into babies by throwing Dave bombs at them. So don't ask what happened to Zach. It's Dave. How's it going, Dave? <laughs> it's going really well, thank you. I have yeah. been, for lack of a better term, making babies. <laughs> for quite some for quite some time uh-huh. now. Uh, it just kind of keeps happening. And I'll tell you what, you put a little baby in in the crimson gem of Sidorak suit, in the old juggernaut suit, it is adorable. You find me something cuter yeah. than a little baby. That's very true. With a red helmet that keeps out psychic invasion. It listen, I'm not I'm not made of steel. I'm not my heart's <laughs> not made of, of brick. Of course that's going to warm me. But yeah, thanks for thanks for joining today, Charlotte. I appreciate yeah, you being here. Yeah, glad to be here. Um, we did. Now this is a very special episode for my marvelous year because uh-huh. this is the first patron sponsored episode in the history of my marvelous year. We've been doing this podcast for arguably four, five, six, seven years. Who's counting? Um, one, it's one <laughs> of those numbers. It's, it's one of those numbers. Multiple choice, and we've had uh, in the probably the back half of My Marvelous Year. We've opened up on patreon.com slash My Marvelous Year. If you support the show at a certain tier, uh, you can add, you know, an issue. You can add a comic to the list. Big privilege, right? But also incredibly yeah. generous for the folks that do so because they're, you know, they're paying us for the privilege. Also, which is, great responsibility. Like, with with uh, with great patronage comes great responsibility, I think is the, the way the saying goes. <laughs> that is that is what Uncle Ben, well, when Uncle yeah. Ben says it, Actually, Uncle Ben doesn't say it, right? It's just Stanley the narrator, yeah. as we talked about. Um, but it often attributed to Uncle Ben. And I think the intent, I think the intent was talking about supporting the My Marvelous Year Patreon. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that's what they were getting at. Um, <laughs> and it's, yeah, so it's it's fantastic. And we were really thankful for the folks that do so. Um, but this is the first time where we just had folks have issues that have, like, um, built up and, and coagulated over time. I think we have two patrons here. And let's... Let's give them a shout because this is their episode. We have patron backers Cody and Ryan, with three actually, and and Kyle S. So thank you, Cody. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Kyle S. For supporting my Marvel this year. This entire episode happened because of them. Okay, all of the comics that we read today: X Men, the One Ninety Eight, and Uncanny X Men. So we're doing two thousand six part two. It's an X Men decimation continuation. Like we're getting deep into decimation here. This was not my original intent. Yeah. I'm not mad that it happened <laughs> necessarily. No, yeah. You know, yeah. uh, there's plenty to talk about. So if you're like, I am X Men out, I got it after House of M, and certainly I got it after 2006 Part One's Decimation Kickoff. Listen, is there going to be a lot here for you? Yes, there is, because Charlotte and I are bringing the heat today. We're bringing yeah. the heat, and we're doing that because our friend, our co host, <laughs> Zach Dean. In his sickbed this morning, 
in his sickbed, could not join us. I hope Zach's doing well, but we know that he's... Listen, Zach does not miss episodes, right? He's yeah, like that's true. He's like the Cal Ripken Jr. That's very true. Which is probably... Do you know Cal Ripken, Charlotte? No, no. I, I wanted to let you... like. I want to let that one slide and not... <laughs> Did, if that, I, is that a basketball reference? What, <laughs> what's, what's, what is it this time? It's, it's baseball. If I, What about Joe DiMaggio? I know this one, but I think... Didn't he have sex with Marion Monroe? <laughs> I think that's the only reason I know his name. He's Joe DiMaggio is famous, of course, okay, cool. for the most consecutive days in a row having had sex with Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> that is that is in fact the record that he set in Major League Baseball. Um, no, it's he had a hit streak. He had a hit in I think fifty six consecutive games. Um, so, okay. so it's a, it's a testament to durability. So Zach, I mean, Zach is our DiMaggio. Zach is our Cal Ripken Jr. Who played like wow. a, gaz- a gazillion games in a row. And he had sex with Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> and, uh, and little known fact, just, just an absolute player. So, uh, Zach must be not feeling well. We wish him well. And, uh, hope he can join us for part three, where we're going to get back to Brubaker, Captain America. Hell yeah. And Hell Brubaker, yeah. Daredevil. And Brubaker, Books of Doom. 2006 Part 3 is going to rock. Nice. All right, Charlotte, let's start it here. X-Men. All the issues to talk about today are in the show notes. Um, you can also find them on the full spreadsheet if you back us for as little as $1 via patreon.com slash this year. X-Men, number 177 to 179. And then we're going to skip a beat and do 188 to 193. Let's start with 177 to 179. Charlotte, this throws us right into the immediate post-decimation X-Men landscape. I'll let you start. What do you think of these? Yeah, what do you think of these so comics? first things first. To people who are like complaining that we're not reading, we're reading too much X Men comics, and we are reading a lot. I get the complaints. We're reading so little <laughs> X Men comics. There yeah. are so many X Men comics going on right now. Like just Uncanny and X Men are like already a lot, and then you have so many miniseries and Excalibur and probably like some X Force and New Mutants titles. I'm not even aware of. Like yeah, there's a new X Men title with the school. Like so many X books. Right, um, and like so many characters in this, we've never heard of before. Like, we've we haven't read that much X Men compared to everything that there is. Um, I think I was like kind of surprised when I saw this is these issues were written by Peter Milligan, who, mm-hmm. whose work we loved in uh, Ecstatics and and the the X Force X Force issues uh, that uh, begin the Ecstatics run. Um, you wouldn't. I don't think you would know that reading these issues. No. Um, they feel, I think, for the most part, like pretty normal uh, X-Men issues, um, which I think, I mean, is an unfair expectation from on my part, just because, like, the only work I know Peter Milligan for, from is Ecstatics, so I, like, I have an expectation of something above the basic quality of, uh, of Marvel Comics. Right. Um, I think these are interesting but like are still in the same way that i thought about previous decimation x-men issues we read like not special enough and i think we can, we're going to talk about that a bit more talking about the the other issues of uh, of x-men that we read um i mean i think probably these are the issues i felt i felt more with it's, it's like decimation doesn't feel special enough these feel a lot like just X-Men issues that, for the most part, could have happened in the 90s, in 
yeah. the early 2000s before Decimation, even like Clement days. Uh, like it, f- it doesn't feel new enough. It doesn't feel special enough. And the elements that could be new and interesting, like the Sentinels being posted right outside the mansion and that being the status quo, like that doesn't feel, I don't know. There's, and I think that's, treated more in the 198 miniseries but it doesn't feel special enough it doesn't feel like it has enough weight it just feels like it feels too regular i don't know i don't know what what you what you thought about that but yeah (coughs) let's talk about let's talk about that actual setup you know because we we alluded to it certainly in part one but here it is like codified and really you know they're really working through okay house of m wanda ends things by saying no more mutants she leaves the special 198. So there are 198 mutants who retain their powers. Everyone else loses their powers, right? Yeah. X-Men 177, 179 picks up at the X-Mansion, which has now become basically the um, safe haven for mutant kind or attempted. The reservation is a word that's used several well, times in this and feels like that's, that w- that's what it's going for uh, in real world, <laughs> well, real world echoes. Right, but then you also have government involvement because everyone knows this news. It's not secret. Like it is yeah. a it is a worldwide phenomenon. Remember, like in new in new X Men with Morrison, like there are a lot of mutants in the world. Right, um, the X Men are public now. Professor X is public now. Like this is not happening under the radar. Like this is news, and um, the government steps in. The American government steps in to turn that safe haven into what is at times here, yes, referenced as a reservation or as internment camps, you know, if we're, if we're digging into it, which we can, we're going to talk about that. Um, But the, so the way they do that is they say, well, we're going to protect you mutants with sentinels, the things that historically (laughs) have been created to hunt you, Uh, which is, I get from a storytelling visual standpoint why you choose that from a logic standpoint, absolutely insane. <laughs> like, <laughs> like absolutely insane to put uh, mutant hunting technology surrounding the, the like well, on the I, verge of extinction mutants that you're trying to protect. They're manned by humans now is the big I, switch. Yeah. I actually kind of like that idea because it's like, yeah, that's something the government would do, right? <laughs> like, It feels believable, yeah, sure. Yeah, it feels like, yeah, like, we know what's going on. We know that they're not actually just here to protect mutants, no matter how naive Val Cooper is. Um, like, yeah. we know. Uh, like, that, that feels like, uh, this, like an, a semi-interesting decision where it's like, yeah, we know what they're saying, but, like, visually it's very clear to us as readers of X-Men that's like, no, yeah, they're as much here to contain the mutants as they are to protect them. Yeah, exactly, right? They're still worried about the power set. They're still worried about what, what might happen, you know, now that their their backs are so thoroughly against the wall. As you mentioned there, Val Cooper um, is the government liaison. She has been an ally, sort of, mostly has she been, to mutant It's kind. been a while since I've read Peter David's X Factor, but I, I, I can't remember her being, like, not that trustworthy. I don't know, maybe I'm like mix. Maybe I'm like adding some Abigail Brand on top of, uh, I, of my Valkyrie there. But I was just gonna say she's got big Abigail Brand energy. Yeah. Except I, I think less devious. And more I would say <laughs> maybe a little, maybe a little. Like definitely, her role here is mostly actual human ally who is, yeah. you know, often getting kind of run over or or tricked or manipulated by. 
yeah. government superiors who don't actually it, care it, about the mutants. It just felt like the mutants were like the X Men were being very trustworthy of these of this <sighs> government official that once ran a, a mutant team. And like even like didn't she read uh, ran like didn't she run Freedom Force, which was essentially the mutant Suicide Squad? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. But, yeah. Val Cooper's around with you know Mystique and yeah, uh, yeah. and the Freedom Force gang well before the Peter David's X Factor. Where yeah, it's not like she has a spotless record with yeah. Havoc and Polaris and the gang. Like they they run into all sorts of issues there as well. So has ties to mutant kind, um, but is far from, I don't know, like, yes, like some of the, the, you could just be like, yes, I will trust the fate of the, of the mutant population with you, you know? Um, yeah, she's the mutants not Captain are, America. The, no, no, yeah, exactly. And it, well, who's nowhere to be found, by the way, which is <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, decim- decimation is brutal <laughs> for everyone else in the Marvel universe because their role is so minimal at this time in what should be. And again, it's just, it's issues of, focus it's issues of separation of editorial offices you know yeah um but it's like decimation is like you have a genocide of mutant kind and where is everyone else right Um, where's carol denvers (laughs) yeah (laughs) i actually feel like she should like have some (laughs) some something to do with this like yeah can you can you give back a bit of uh what the x-men gave to you yeah which is a thing that that you know fans now and even creators now might like hold against these characters, right? Like they'll use yeah. that as if it was the character's fault. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, as if they made like, those creative decisions. Yeah. Circa 2006. Um, I think generally not. But yeah, so like that is that is the situation. Uh, Cyclops is, you know, he is running the X-Mansion with Emma Frost, right? Because they've kicked Professor X out, which we read in Deadly Genesis. Um, but yeah, they're like kind of just like, all right, anyone who's a mutant, there's so few of us can come in. You know, so Toad, Toad gets a seat, longtime villain. Uh, the mysterious Mr. M, who we're going to talk about here, Omega Level Mutant shows up. He gets a seat, right? You have these kind of renegade mutants. Uh, uh, Grey Crow, John Grey Crow, a.k.a. The, the artist formerly known as Scalp Hunter, a.k.a. someone who participated in the Mutant Massacre, right? Yep. So, you, so you get actually an interesting, oh, yeah. a little ahead of its time combination of like... Also, Erg, who is somehow not Callisto? <laughs> <laughs> someone <laughs> legion slash callisto who isn't yeah. legion slash callisto yeah exactly um, <laughs> also uh, looks exactly like those characters yet yeah. somehow is someone else yeah you know you're spot on and there. like also moloch like moloch has the exact same design as, Cal- as callisto which is like no that's that's a dude that's just another dude okay fine <laughs> which i so two two options there that i like one Trans Callisto. Yeah, sure. That's, feels yeah. feels very like it. And it, how cool would it be if everyone like no one even like talked about it? Everybody just like used yeah yeah his new name now. Obviously, that's not actually happening. I'm giving way too much progressive credit there. Uh, the second thing would be um, that Callisto is so popular among Morlocks that, that <laughs> many of them have simply adopted an eye patch cosplay. and the look. Yeah, yeah, right. Like Perfect. like she's so cool. That they all just want to look like her. That feels in play uh, a little more so. But yeah, yeah uh, so sense. all of that is is set up to say these comics aren't very good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't as much as I love, yeah. and I think I think all of us really quite love the Milligan already. Yeah, you know, ecstatics. Milligan is a a really poor fit on X Men, and it is just <laughs> so 
And like ecstatics highlights exactly the poorness of the fit, <laughs> right? Like you have this incredibly talented creator who can poke holes and see through the, the tropes of it all and have fun with it and still tell engaging stories and have some societal commentary. And then you put them in the mansion and they become like generic writer number one, you know, yeah. like it is, there is nothing. I mean, truly there's nothing unique about these comics at all with the exception of the fact of just when they occur, right? The only interesting thing about them is the timing and the fact that we're kickstarting decimation. Um, and I, I think the Milligan run, I don't know if it has like, Probably everything gets retroactive. This was good, actually, Defenders, right? Like, it's, you know, it happens with everything, Chuck Austin, X-Men, et cetera. I would actually rather read Chuck Austin, X-Men than, than Milligan, X-Men. Yeah. And I'm not even saying that on, like, a overall quality level. I just think there's way more interesting things happening. Yeah, I feel like these Austin are more just boring. Like, they're not aggressively bad. It's just, like, there's just not that much happening here. Um, like, yeah. the main things I can think of is, like, Iceman actually does have his powers. He okay, just we got to like, talk about that. Yeah. yeah. He just so, like had some kind of weird mental block. So, listen, it's it's been 18 years <laughs> since these comics came out. <laughs> I had forgotten that that happened. Yeah. And I'm bothered, Charlotte. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like actively upset. They made a big deal at the end of House of M, right? Yeah, yeah, about Bobby being the one, the one example that they highlight of a mutant losing their powers. Oh, like a main X-Men, yeah. The main, like a, an original X-Men, somebody who's living in the mansion is part of the team right now. And then this whole arc, they're just like, oh, Psych actually has them. Why? Why and do also, that? Actually, actually, Polaris is the one that doesn't have her powers. She's yeah, yeah. pretending she still has them. Which like... It just feels like, which I don't get what the reason would be, but it just feels like someone added to added editorial or something was like, oh, could we actually have like Polaris be the one that doesn't have her powers instead of Bobby? Like, well, we just showed him <laughs> not having his powers, and like, so they did a full arc inverting the the two roles. Because like, otherwise, why? What's happening in here? What are you saying with Polaris? I guess Polaris pretending to not to have her powers is like. A com uh, like about how important being a mutant is to her and like it doesn't go anywhere with that uh, I don't think um, that has potential right yeah. I mean that at least has potential because, I can see it, I can see a version of that story that's interesting yeah exactly and I think Zach Zach brought this up in in the first estimation talk but he was like the thing that is interesting right now is and I'm paraphrasing obviously but it's like it's not X-Men stuff it's like like mutants outside yeah. of X-Men, right? It's like mutant culture and and those that have lost their powers and what that means for them. Like that is that is the template here for different kinds of stories, yeah. right? Different kinds of X-Men stories. Polaris, like fine. But the thing about Polaris is like, you can do both those stories. <laughs> like 99% yeah. like of mutants lost their powers. You can have two. Yeah. Um, I think <laughs> like we, we talked quickly in, in the previous episodes about this mission of like, yeah, it's kind of weird um, that the X-Men are mostly the only ones that still have the powers. Uh-huh. Like, we said that, like, kind of jokingly, but I actually think that's my main problem with Decimation. Uh, like, it doesn't feel ambitious enough in its actual consequences. Like, saying that most mutants are depowered and there's only, like, two thousands of them, uh, 200 of them left, that seems ambitious. But if you only 
deep out characters that we don't know for the most part, or like that right. aren't as important uh, to the main narrative. It doesn't feel like there's actually anything that's changed, right? If these were comics, were like of the main named like classic Lee Kirby Clement X Men, if of those everyone was depowered except like Cannonball and Rogue, that's an interesting story. Right? Yeah. What happens when everyone gets depowered and like Cannonball and Rogue have to assemble a team of like fully randos and, and characters we don't know yet because like they weren't important before. Like that's more interesting. That's an actual status quo shift. And that means like the character we care about have an actual like full change in status quo, right? Here it doesn't feel like the status quo for the X-Men, for the characters we have followed and care about, is that different? And it makes them seem like the a-holes when, like, everyone else is in hot waters and they're the ones that, like, are causing up to the government. And, like, no, yeah. no, it's fine that you're getting chips in your neck. And, like, yeah. It, it, I think, like, my main problem with this and something that this felt throughout the line is that the X-Men still have the powers. Well, and I think you have some, like, perfect opportunities for key players. Like, Cyclops could easily lose his powers. Yeah. And then you just have him still trying to lead things, but he can no longer shoot optic blasts out of his eyes. Like, it works quite easily. Um, Beast would be another great example. Someone who has yeah, actively absolutely. been considering losing his powers. Now you have a story about, well, he did, and you kind of have that Ben Grimm thing of, you know, a day where he's human again. And you can do some interesting stories there. I, I totally agree. It's like... The roster of the actual team should be, like, at least half depowered. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you yeah. know? I mean, it's like there's no commitment at all. And it is truly – I mean, obviously all fans get, like, oh, okay, like if a character is in a book, they're going to be one of the ones who keep their powers. But it's like you didn't have to do it that way when the, the extent of the damage is supposed to be so significant. Um, and then <laughs> I do I do appreciate with Polaris when Milligan is – early on, he's kind of trying – you know, he's kind of experimenting yeah. with like, okay, she lost her powers and what does that mean? And she's like in the middle of a sentinel fight, just <laughs> faking it. Like, yeah. That's that's like deranged behavior, but it's also <laughs> captivating, you know, be, to have this character, Lorna Dane, who's yeah. like, I would rather fight a sentinel with no powers barehanded <laughs> and you know than what? tell like, my friends, <laughs> you know? It's feels like a bit from aesthetics, right? I feel like yeah. in Michael Red's art, like art style, and like in the context of aesthetic, I can see that joke. Like I can see that being a half joke and a half character thing, right? Totally. Here, it doesn't feel like a joke until like she she re reveals it to the team, and like everyone's like, oh yeah, I was wondering when when you were gonna tell us. <laughs> like we know we knew it was very clear, and yeah. except Iceman who's like, what? what? You you don't have your pose? Like that feels like a bit out of ecstatic, and that moment like was funny to me. But I feel like I don't know. It feels like the art doesn't sell that, and it feels like that's it's only half baked. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. As is the return of Iceman's powers here. Yeah. Which, like, it just happens. Like, there's nothing yeah. especially interesting, you know, if you think, well, well, okay, so you had this big tease of the one individual who did lose their powers, who lives in the X-Mansion, and, you know, you got to at least have a story around how they get him back, right? And it's like, nope, it was just delayed. <laughs> it was just delayed because Bobby's brain is weird. <laughs> That's the answer, right? The answer is like, well, this dude clearly has a lot of repressed things. Hint, hint, wink, wink. <laughs> 
and uh, and his ice powers were delayed as well. Like, yep. it, come on, like I, I, it bothers me. It's like you didn't yeah, need to do that. Like the interesting stories here are non-powered. I don't I don't understand that at all. Yeah, um, it's, it's okay, one thing I like about these comics, uh, you know what I like about the Milligan X Men run? Yeah. How how kind of weird and creepy John D is? <laughs> okay, John D is named for the English astronomer slash magician that a lot of British comics uh, writers love. I think yeah. Gaiman, Gaiman loves referencing some John D. I feel like Alan Moore does too. <laughs> Um, Milligan gets it in here as, you know, as, as oh, I didn't second notice. wave British yeah. invasion. Uh, that's the character's name. It has nothing to do. Wait, who's John Lee in this comics? He's the guy with the, the, uh, tentacle Cthulhu stomach. Oh, is that Milligan? Cause that's 198, right? Hang on. Am I giving, am I giving Milligan David Hyde credit? I, I am. Think so, I think so. I think that's, that's the 198. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Nope. That comes from the series I liked. <laughs> 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 Oops. <laughs> Whoopsie. My bad. Perfect. No, you're right. Okay, so we're still on 177 <laughs> to 179. Yeah, like these are just like they're very um very traditional setups and I I think they actually they understate what could be interesting about decimation. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think this this to me is like this is the example of why you don't do decimation because you're still trying to tell the same X-Men stories. Yeah. In in large part. Um it does give you some info it does give you some details about the actual setup of things, I think. Um, but yeah, I, like I said, like there's the run, the next few comics that we skip or that the patrons skipped in the picks are this uh, Blood of Apocalypse arc. And listen, you you know me, I love love me some Apocalypse comics. Um, yeah. it, I don't like those either. <laughs> but also <laughs> so like, there's like, isn't, I, I just like scroll through uh, Marvel Limited and so that like one of the covers has dupe on, on it and like, Okay, I'm, I might read that one just because. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Dupin and Dupin the X Men. Yeah. Like. Yeah. I mean, it's it is one of those things too. It just makes you appreciate, or it makes me appreciate, you know, like right place, right people, right time stuff. You know, where it's like. Yeah, yeah. Milligan Allred on X Force Ecstatics at that particular moment working together. It's like just a perfect unit, you know, and and it it generates an incredible and memorable comic book. And you can take those parts and put them in other, you know, you take Peter Milligan and give him X-Men because he had success there. And it's like, it just, it doesn't work the same, yeah. you know? Um, it's not, it's not a great fit. Uh, it, speaking of, we're, so we're going to, we're going to come back to X-Men 188 to 193 because that kind of comes after all this. Yeah. I Last time we talked about Son of M and the writer of Son of M is David Hine. And I, I think we talked about, Zach and I especially talked about like, you know, being impressed by that book in ways we didn't expect. Yeah. Um, and I kind of mentioned, like, I feel like David Hines kind of a mismatch on X-Men. And I think I, I feel like that was kind of the wrong word. I feel like he's just kind of an, an oddity within X-Men comics. Um, but one who writes really interesting X-Men comics, as evidenced by this miniseries here, the 198, issues one through five. Uh, I like these comics a lot, actually. Yeah. These, to me, do basically exactly what we were just describing in terms yeah, of, they're like... Yeah, the they're the closer to getting to, like... Actual weight to this mission thing. Like, yeah, these are new totally. X-Men comics. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is, okay, mutants are decimated. The governments here were trapped in our reservation, internment camp, yeah. as Kitty is quick to jump to, concentration camp. 
you know? And I, I guess I do kind of want to talk. So there's a scene with Kitty. Is that in the 198 or, or the million stuff? I can't even remember now. I think that's the 198, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, the, the ex, you know, leaders are having a conversation about, like, you know, the government being there. And just like, are they, are they okay with it? What are they doing? Who are they welcoming in? You know, of mutant kind, that sort of thing. And, you know, Kitty is, is pretty quick to say, like, this is an internment camp. Um, you know, we are trapped here. The government is, is surveilling us. You know, they say they're protecting us, but like, this is a police state, essentially. Like, the soldiers are on the grounds with us. But she's not wrong. No, yeah, she's that. absolutely right. <laughs> and, and I feel like they, they have the, or at least Hine has like the awareness to raise that point. But then it's just like they just don't know how to do anything else with that. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like they don't know. And then because then like, the next stage well, but is we still have to tell that story. So we're not going to. Yeah. Ex- and it's like that, that much because to me and I've, you know, my own understanding of, of American internment camps is is recent. You know, it's only history that I yeah. have learned within the last several years. These are not things that I understood in school. It's not part of like curriculum. Um, but, you know, just through even just, you know, fiction, um, uh, like uh, The Good Asian, Porn Sick Peach yeah. Chote, great comic book, you know, deals with the the Chinese Immigration Exclusion Act and, you know, and the coming of internment camps. And then you have George Takai of Star Trek fame, wrote that great uh, uh, autobiography, They Call This Enemy, you know, and you have tons of works now. And obviously just the actual history of it that goes into like, yeah, America has a a much dirtier history with internment camps and and you know our asian populations um than than i was raised to believe I, yeah. I will just say for myself um and it's it's worth looking into and it's worth looking into i think for the reasons a lot of history is which is to say like we should be scared of that happening again <laughs> you know yeah. um it should caution you know obviously you want to learn from history and obviously we so rarely do it's it's a bummer but uh, anyway, so the, I think the the comparison is an apt one, but it is also that thing of like, okay, mutant metaphor, metaphor for minorities. How direct are we going to take this? And also, How, where are the minorities? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, um, right. Like we're talking marginalized groups, but they're all white mutants. Like we're uh, talking a lot about uh, Native Americans, uh, about like reservations for like when's the, when's the last time we saw like. Uh, Danny Moonstar or like Thunderbird in these. <laughs> well, and it's the it, only two native characters. And the problem then, I think, becomes the only minority voice you have in the room comes becomes Kitty like every time because she's Jewish, yeah. and then every time writers have her like they like make a scene of her jumping to Nazis. And it's kind of that thing of online, you know, where then people just lose their minds, right? And it's like all these points become invalidated because someone jumped to Nazis, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, even if accurately. And then I, you have this weird thing where Kitty's like, this is too close, um, you know, this is – and she's upset, and I, I feel like rightfully so. And, uh, and then you have like the group, like Emma teases her as she leaves. And, and there's kind of just this sense of like – I don't know. This isn't set in the comic, but like, there's a sense of like, oh, it's just Kitty being Kitty, as opposed yeah, to like, she raises they, some great points. Like, someone makes fun of her. I don't know if it, uh, I think Val Cooper makes fun of her, and then Beast's like, well, her her grandfather's sister died in in Auschwitz. Yeah, and like, 
The following panel is just Emma saying something else. And it's like sarcastic, it's like, too. Like, yeah, not... and it's unclear if it's like, oh, are we making fun of Val Cooper for being like, for not knowing what's going on? Or are we making fun of Kitty for, or like, is it, f- it feel there's a bit of it being like, oh, yeah, it's like, yeah, she jumps to that because of stuff, but like, that doesn't actually track with what's happening. Um, yeah, it, it, they go to, I don't know, it, they go to it a lot, but it feels like no other character can see that it's happening somehow yeah. like it doesn't feel like it feels like cyclops and beast and then like most characters should be like nope absolutely not we're not letting sentinels of all people like hang around the mansion and like and like we're not letting other mutants sleep in tents in the grounds while we're sleeping in the mansion what's what's going on with that as well <laughs> yeah, like sure. what's the weird uh the weird class struggle that's developing there like it feels I don't, a bit of a bit of it is like, well, those are the characters I like, so I don't want to see them behaving like that. But a bit of it is also like, well, it's weird that all of them are behaving like that. Like, if I don't know Emma and Beast were like, yeah, I'm fine with that, and like there was more like voices of di- dissension in the room, like that would feel that would feel more natural and more real to me. But yeah. the fact that everyone's fine with it, it's like that's a bit weird, right? <laughs> I'm I'm especially bothered by the characterization of Cyclops in these yeah. uh, in these scenes because he... He's so fine with it, with everything. He's, he's like an advocate for it, actually, by the end of yeah. the 198. Like, he is... He's like the most pro-Sentinels on campus <laughs> of the group. Like, and it's like says, well, if you don't come down, I'm setting Sentinels for you. It's like, what happened to yeah. you, Scott? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, that that characterization, I thought, felt just horribly off. Yeah. Um. I, I That... That to me does not work at all. Now I get, and I think you're right. And I think what you're articulating is, I actually am more interested in the conversations and setup of how they manage the fact that there are 198 mutants than I yeah. am, you know, kind of the the more traditional comic book nature of backstabbing and superpowers and riots. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like I, I am actually most interested in beasts. You know, like yes, yeah, saying. Well, we should at least make rooms available in our secret sub basement <laughs> where yeah. no one is living. And Emma saying, "I'm not giving up my room." Right? Like you can have a character who, like, of course, Emma would be like, "No, I'm not giving up my space." Right? Like that's yeah. that is a characterization bit you can play with. But otherwise, it is just left to the imagination and left for us to assume that everyone who lives in the mansion was just like, "Well, here's a tent and uh, some grass." <laughs> yeah. And also, right? I feel like that's a, a, a forever problem with X-Men Comics, but like Bishop and Cable, what what's happening? Like Bishop is an active like Yeah, Bishop's around. M- main member of the X-Men in these and this and it's like what, don't you have something to say? Like what like you know the future. What where does this go? Is this normal? Like how did it happen in your time? Like, is should we be doing this? Like, no one's going to Bishop, and Bishop is like barely a character, which also feels weird. Like, one of your only non-white characters is just like a background uh, cameo. Uh, well, we yeah, talked it, about it, kind of you know, we talked about um, Kitty being the one to go to internment camps and concentration camp parallels. Bishop was literally raised in a days yeah, of future sure. past concentration camp, right? There's there's a a voice that you can bring to the yeah, conversation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, I think David Hine does the best job of anyone we read here with the decimation landscape, honestly. Um, but it is, it's a challenge and it's a problem where it's like, well, you went 33% of the way there. 
Yeah. I mean, and now I kind of wish he had gone none of the way there, you know? All, all of the way, but like, I don't, it feels like he has an interesting story he's trying to tell, but like, that story doesn't quite jive with the personality of, and like, the character of the X Men that the ones we know. It feels like that story w- would work great if instead of the X Men was like, I don't know, like, X Factor, right? Like, that feels like an actual government mutant team that feels like, <coughs> yeah, that, that'd be a bit more pro-government and willing to to do, like, icky, make icky ethical yeah. decisions. Um, like, th- there's a bit of, like, miscast of not necessarily the writer, but, like, the characters that are in it, like, the actual well, and you can, X-Men that are in it. You can make that argument for Scott, I think, yeah. and be like, because, you know... It, Part of the yeah, challenge like is I'm bringing into, yeah. Well, I think part of the challenge is like I'm bringing Scott's progression yeah over the next 18 years to my thinking, and obviously it's like that hadn't happened yet. We're here in 2006. Yeah. Like Scott is on Scott and Emma are on first days of being the heads of of mutant kind territory, yeah. and I that's worth remembering, right? Like this is just they've just gotten into the position and their first. You know, challenge their their highest priority now is keep the species from going extinct. <laughs> like it's not exactly a tough agenda or a, a light agenda that they're yeah. faced with. Um, so th- there's definitely a way that you can kind of make the case for like, well, yeah, it makes sense that Scott would be like, we don't have a better option. Like, what are we? What are we going to yeah. do? Fight the Sentinels in the government with 198 of us and yeah. risk losing more? Like, but I just feel like I don't really see those scenes. Or those yeah, it does feel like there's an internal internal dialogue going on with the character. Just like, hey, yeah, I'm fine. Okay, I, I got over it. Yeah, um, and I do think it is. I mean, it feels weird that Xavier isn't there at all because it feels like, like I like the decision of pushing him to the side and not having him be the leader of the X Men anymore. Him losing his powers and all, but it feels like that doesn't mean he shouldn't be a character in these stories. Like it feels like. That should mean he has like an even more interesting place in those stories. Um, yeah, it feels like he could be interesting here, uh, especially as like yeah, we see him in the uh, children, children of the Vault issue. So like he's around, he's just like not a character here, I guess, uh, which feels a bit weird. Um, like it feels like that's an interesting character to put in that in that situation. Like that's also me just changing what the comic is. Um, yeah. No, I know what you mean though. I know what you mean. I mean, I do think like the actual, so the the actual like narrative here of the 198, you know, you got David Hine here writing, you got Jim Muniz on pencils. Um, I do mostly like it. Uh, I think it's, yeah. again, like we're, we're I, again, I think it's that thing too of like when there's something you like, it feels a little more worthwhile to sort of pick at the seams of it. Um, and it is, I, I think decimation is kind of inherently a complicated topic that is like there's the x-men version of it which is mostly what we get which is just like well it's just like a big it's a big superhero plot point but then it's like well okay but now you've taken your mutant metaphor and said let's do stories of genocide and um and it's like that that opens a lot of doors and critiques i think uh but i think with what they have here i think hein you know kind of explores this idea better than most, uh, you get a pretty good sense of, or you, you at least get the best sense of anything I've read here of like what it is to live on these grounds. You know, you have other players, we have magma involved, we have empath involved. Um, John D who I mentioned earlier, right? Like it's going a little more in the weeds. Yeah. One of the most like 
I don't know, it, uh, the scene with magma at the beginning of this, like, feels like one of the actual, like, horrible consequences of this mission. Like, that's one of the main times I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is horrible. And this is like an actual tragedy for mutants, where like, her boyfriend, who has kind of the same powers as her, just like, loses his powers in the middle of an active volcano, and just like, yeah. melts away in the lava in like, incredible pain. That's like, yeah, that's a horrible scene that's like, great to open this comic because like yeah i i feel the weight and the pain of of this uh terrible event uh, yeah. yeah right like that's i guess that's that's a big thing too is like this should feel awful for mutants yeah. you know um this this is like like kind of horrifying stuff and it's it's something that you kind of like at those x-men comics like you just so quickly get into like well here's wolverine climbing up a sentinel you know it's like you're so quickly past what's actually unique about this. Um, but yeah, so the 198 is just, I mean, it really in short, it's the story of the X-Men are navigating the government being on their property and only having a few mutants left. Uh, this mysterious Omega level mutant named Mr. M shows up. This character actually debuted in a previous David Hine written thing. Um, is it? No, it's not soldier X district X. Uh, it's like, basically that's the Bishop as a beat cop story. It's uh it occurs during, I think, the Morrison run, and it's it's Bishop is like a beat cop in Mutant Town, um, Mutant Town being where a lot of mutants go to live, and uh, and Mister M debuts there. But I mean, basically, you can like seemingly kind of just do anything. Big big Legion energy, I think, with Mister M, uh, but seems generally uh, nice, <laughs> you know, like seems like a nice little guy, uh, at least until he doesn't and he gets angry. And then you got John D, who I mentioned, who is, you know, I think I think there's a lot of interesting things to be done with a character who has an incredibly gross mutation, but who didn't lose their abilities, you know, um, where that is like, are you kidding me? Like everyone lost their mutant abilities, but I, I can't, you know, when I have this, I don't, I don't even know what you call it, Cthulhu monster in his stomach that he sticks his hand into to like possess people. Like it's a really weird mutant, you know? And uh, kind of interesting. So there's a weirdness to the 198 that I think gets picked up. I like that Hein sees the potential in in looking at some of the, like, these kind of outcast mutants who have retained their powers. Yeah. I think that makes for a more interesting story than the X-Men, you know? Yeah. And again, like, it's not like we're not interested in the X-Men's thoughts on the matter. Obviously, yeah. we talked about, like, I think I think them talking about the big picture and how they approach this is interesting. But when I actually want to see, like, on-the-ground stories, like, these are kind of the right characters to be doing with. Like, Mr. M and, you know, this non-Callisto and John D. Like, these are the characters <laughs> that I'm actually, like, yeah, like, there's there's room for me to get interested in them. I, I mean, it feels like a, I mean, <laughs> it's going to sound mean, but, like, a more interesting version of uh, Riot at Xavier's. Because, like, I yeah. actually get okay. what, I actually get their intentions and their opinions about this. Like, they're, like getting cooped up in like essentially internment camps like in in some kind of reservation like they can't get out they're losing their freedom and like it feels like their intentions and their motivations are clear and very understandable um so so wait do you like this more than riot at xavier's you know what i need to (laughs) (laughs) reread i I think they're like (sighs) do i say it i think in this they're more compelling characters than uh, Quentin Quire is in Red Xavier's as like the leading face of the riots. I mean, they're just um, those; those are just angry teens on drugs. 
Yeah. Right? Like they sure. are they're pretty nihilistic and they're not yeah. which which is it's not like that's not believable and relatable. <laughs> yeah. Right? We've all no, met sure, yeah. groups like that. Um, I, I don't know if it's better, actually better, but I think like it's it's an interesting version of a similar story at least. You can see you can see why they're mad. I, yeah. I think is is unquestionably yeah. true, and I I think one of the problems is the argument kind of becomes too one sided because it needs to be you know for the future of X Men kind of thing where it's like okay if we're gonna put Scott and Emma in the position of like all right we got to work with the Sentinels and the government yeah. you want a stronger opposing voice than sure, yeah. uh, no name rioter number one. Right, like, yeah, yeah. like I think it would be better if it's you know yes you got Mr. M, but then what if you got you know Kitty with them or something? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's yeah. like, and I I think you could actually have a more interesting philosophical argument if you at least position. All right, we got all these known faces. How about we put some of them? You know, not just magma. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like original New Mutant technically yes, but like. Putting the least interesting new mutant, and also on. not really a part of the debate. She just has she she just has like her own weird subplot with uh, with uh, what's his name empath. Empath. I was like yeah. that's the the that's the extent of her story here. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I I found these comics interesting. I do think if you're going yeah. to read some decimation stuff, I would I would say definitely read these. Um, I think there's the the pro, and I think too to be fair, a lot of the oh what if and oh I wish they had done this stuff is like. It's true of all, almost all X Men comics. Um, it's not unique to, it's it's not a hind failing necessarily by comparison to most of what we get here. I just think yeah. the the situation, the decimation situation, calls for you know a, a thoughtfulness that is kind of rare. Um, yeah. And it, it's without that, it's kind of like I don't know. It's kind of then it just feels like well, okay, so you did just kind of editorially want to limit mutants <laughs> which is the yeah. which is the fan read of this right the fan read of this a lot of times now especially is like well joe quesada just kind of didn't like there's always like people love talking about what editors do or don't like which i always think is bullshit but like you yeah. know there's there's this Ooh, fan wow. sense oh yeah you're right i shouldn't have shouldn't have cussed <laughs> um <laughs> but there's this fan sense of like wow joe quesada just wanted to you know limit and, and restrict the mutants from growing and all that and it's like yeah but if you're if you're gonna like argue against that then you kind of have to like make decimation cool <laughs> you know what i mean and it's a hard thing to make cool um all right what else do we got any, any other 198 thoughts uh no i think it's like there's a fun i mean you, you talked about it, there's a fun weirdness to the characters that are in this like it feels like some fun weird mutant powers uh especially like like you said the weird tentacle guy uh, that has like some weird uh voodoo doll uh, uh powers mind control powers and uh and i don't know i don't know if i like mr m or not like if i need to read all the the, the comics he was introduced in um i never like the thing of oh weird uh childlike adult character is incredible at sex <laughs> there's, a, there's a weird thing to do there uh, yeah. yeah kind of a weird obsession uh like um uh, fantasy fulfillment, which I mean, I'm probably I'm reading way too much in this, but like, felt like a weird scene, right? Um, also, weirdly, um, kind of sexual assaulty uh, on the part of uh, I don't know, yeah, like, uh, yeah, that stuff. Lorelei. Mm-hmm. No, you're yeah, right. Yeah. You're right. Like that. Those scenes are because it's you know, Mr. M. I think is is interesting as like a power set, but at no point in those first you know two issues are you like, 
I really want to get into this guy's romantic life. You know, like it's yeah. Not... He's just like Caliban or Leech, kind of like that's, yeah. That's the kind of character he seemed like, um, and yeah, yeah, not great. <laughs> Don't love it. Although I do love his like brain design. Like under his hat, it's like his brain is poking out of the top of his head. Like he doesn't have a, a roof to to his skull. Like that's that's a cool design. That's uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I never imagined that that's what was under his hat. <laughs> yeah, Mr. M uh, is kind of famously, like, underexplored because he has yeah. these, like, massively, like, he's, like, the centerpiece, you know, of this story and then, like, really doesn't doesn't have the legs. Because even yeah. the end of this, which I won't even spoil, but it's obviously teasing, like, you know, more Mr. M stuff. And uh, it, it's just, like, it's kind of this character that nobody except David Hine really has a plan for. You know, it's one of those creator favorites that they they weave in and then everybody else is just like, well, I'm just going to ignore that, <laughs> you know, yeah. which happens sometimes. Um, all right. Let's do let's do Uncanny X-Men first and then we'll come back to the My Carry stuff at the end of this. So we also had from patron Kyle S. Uncanny X-Men number 461. Kyle S. said, let's go back. Let's go back to a time known as 2005. And let's do part two of a Mojo World story. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, let's go back to a time known as 1983. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. We got Chris Claremont on the mic. Chris Claremont has returned as the head of Uncanny X-Men. I don't know that we've extensively talked about this at any point. Yeah, we've seen him in, um, in Excalibur, but not, not in actual X-Men yet. I yeah, know. so like, welcome back to, in the 2000s with Extreme X-Men and then was on Excalibur and now is just fully back on Uncanny X-Men in, again, what is the most, like, back-to-basics post-Morrison over-adjustment you could possibly make, right? Is like, let's go back to actual Chris Claremont. Um, Charlotte, I think you said it all when you set us up by talking about cute little X-Babies at the start of this. (laughs) (laughs) That's mostly what this story is. Uh, Kyle was not wrong to start us on part two, by the way. Part one is is not really necessary. I... I like looking at talented artists like a Scotty Young, for example, doing X Babies. Arthur Adams. Could you show me a, a splash of Arthur Adams X Babies? It's cute. It's fun. The stories are terrible. <laughs> I, do not, I do not enjoy reading uh X Baby stories. Now, the the wild wrinkle too with Uncanny X-Men number 461 is uh Claremont is also writing he's taken over Exiles uh around yeah. this time or is about to or whatever. And the exiles are involved too. You have Mojo's exiles, so you have a lot of like clashing, just wildness and weirdness. I would say the best thing that happens is Claremont weaves in um, Nocturne, aka T.J. Wagner, aka the alternate reality daughter of Nightcrawler and Scarlet Witch, and establishes a relationship with Six One Six Nightcrawler. <clears throat> uh, no, it's it's Nightcrawler and Scarlet Witch. Oh, okay, weird. Okay, interesting. Um... Yeah. I, I like yeah. that he brings her in to like Nightcrawler's life yeah. and gives her a relationship with her father from another reality. I think that's yeah. sweet. Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, I this actually like I said this was like 1980s X Men. Actually, no, it's like uh, Clement uh, Alan Davis Excalibur. That's that's what this is like mutant stuff, but like with yeah, a weird, yeah. absurd like absurd humor that like I never quite find as funny as I think it's supposed to be like the the exiles that are in this is like the legal eagles which are like uh, 
um, uh, lawyer uh, exiles, like the exiles as uh, Mo um, Mojo's team of lawyers. And I think like the beats, the bits never lends <laughs> to me. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I don't, I don't think these are particularly funny. I think the the one thing I kind of liked story wise, like what's going on with Juggernaut, uh, was like, yeah, I'm. I'm I c could I remain a baby? Like that. This feels like my my life's better like this. Uh, like I'm, I I can escape from my guilt and stuff. Like that's yeah. Know, that's like character stuff that Clement. I mean, that's why Clement's run is successful. Like these kind of of character stuff that's reliant on like a long, long, long uh, story st story of uh, these characters in this series. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I, I don't know. Mojo is like I never. I mean, there's like I'm I'm not special in this, but like Mojo is never interesting to me, and I think like he feels so different from the rest of X Men villains. Like the closest thing is Arcade, but even like Arcade is the same way. But it feels like Mojo's supposed to be bigger than Arcade because he's like uh, uh, like um, from another dimension, and that's, like that. There's a whole lore. Uh, around him, like Spiral side to him, and even like Psy the Psylocke stuff uh, is side to him. Like he's he's supposed to be important for X Men, but he's like he's just this weird little guy, and like that sounds fun, but that's that never actually is fun. I think there's two. I think there's two ways Mojo works. Yeah. One is just pure comedy, heavy-handed satire, right? Just yeah. like really heavy, like insider gags about. This is the way comics work, and these are how X-Men stories are always told. Like, there's a joke in here about the return of Jean Grey again. That, that was pretty good. That's pretty funny. Like, that, and Claremont, with a, a Claremont with a self-awareness to poke fun at how X-Men stories always play out, like, in theory, sounds kind of fun, right? Like, that's, but that's not really what this comic is. Um, so I'm, like, I'm generally on board for, like, the little bits of satire that you can weave in with the Mojo. I would say the second way Mojo works it's kind of more the original phase and, and more, it's more than a sentient vision of Mojo in like the long shot um, series. But then also the way yeah. Claremont used the character with all the death, uh, Psylocke stuff where it's like Mojo's like a creepy mad scientist. Like there is a, yeah. there's a Mojo and spiral, like all the, what is it? The body shop? Is that what they call Ooh, it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When they do all that surgery on Psylocke and they give her their, um, camera eyes like that. That's yeah, the, like, creepy. Orange, a clockwork, clockwork orange. orange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that stuff's weird and strange, and uh, in kind of in horror ways, you know, that I think uh, almost never get picked up on now. Yeah. You know, I think he's become so holy an attempt at comedy. You know, uh, but I think uh, it's like there's the way the character started was actually like you kind of had to take him seriously. And and now I don't think that's the case. So yeah, I'm I'm trying to think. Like I think the last time I liked Mojo, there's an X Men Black Mojo story where he's trying to get a date, and it's written by <laughs> Scott Ackerman of Comedy Bang Bang. Um, Ooh, okay. That has some okay gags, I would say. Uh, I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's 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 better than me. I don't know. Yeah. I don't have an example. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I think that's it. I I imagine here that Kyle thought Kyle had a fun time with this, and like, admittedly, like it's it's light on its feet, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm so I actually read the lead into this on Kenny X Men four sixty. So you got Claremont working with Tom Rainey here, inked by Scott Hanna. Tom Rainey is is really following 
the mid-2000s instructions to be horny as hell. And uh, <laughs> and it's it's kind of awful, I think. Yeah. Um, issue 460 in particular, you've got Rachel Summers and a like completely without character Laura Kinney. Like nobody knows who Laura Kinney is. And they are just like constantly posing. They weigh maybe 70 pounds between them. <laughs> <laughs> like like Ooh, we had boy. we apparently in 2000 Ooh, uh boy. yeah in 2005 we had not yet discovered thickness thickness had not <laughs> been discovered <laughs> unfortunately and uh it's just like i i do not care for it I, yeah. it, is yeah, it would be way better if they were like thick like nothing else changes in the comic they're just like i'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry because of all i mean on, you could fix most comics by making I, all I characters thick as five C's. <laughs> Hell yeah! Cannot be argued. Hell yeah! Including Mojo. Including Mojo. Including Mojo. Hey, he, the, the original what? thick with five C's. If he fun. has one thing going on for him, mm-hmm. he's thick as hell. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I said there were two things. Really, there were three. He's the original thick. <laughs> yeah, there is a thing oh, for sure. Perfect. I mean, you know what? A hey, Mojo's the actual hero here. He's trying to make everyone in this comic as thick as he is. You know, you know what? what? We should all all <laughs> all the hate fact- Mojo. The fact that Leah Williams didn't write that Mojo story in her X Factor in the year uh, <laughs> twenty twenty one. Oh, you know I like that. Uh, I like that story. I think like Mojo being Twitch uh, is pretty fun. That's a good Mojo World uh, interpretation, actually. Yeah, yeah the most recent uh, X Factor run. Okay, <clears throat> so I, th- I think that's going to do it. I I will say too, like, so we're not going to read much, if any, of the Claremont Uncanny yeah. here. And we, we already I, read quite a bit of, of Claremont. On, well, we did. <laughs> I, I do just want to clarify, like, it's Life not I just a little a little segment here clarifying Claremont. It's not a Ooh, nice. massive, uh, like, insult. Like, I'm not attempting some sort of, like, giant dig at Claremont. I think there's some stuff that comes up with, like, Rachel Summers and the Shi'ar that is, like, it's, if you're, if you love... Chris Claremont X-Men, you're super curious. Like, I think Zach might be curious to read these issues, honestly. Like, with him going back to the Claremont X-Men stuff. Like, oh, it's not like I'm like, tables. oh, no, they're they're awful and you shouldn't read them. I don't feel that way at all. They're just not essential and they aren't yeah. – uh, they don't really get with the times <laughs> in the yeah. way yeah, that you want. Like if you want to give the reins back to Clement, give him the reins. Let him play. This is like – He's just in his own side uh, side sandbox that no one cares about. Yeah, which, like I don't know, feels kind of sad. Um, yeah. Well, and that's that's been my like Claremont gets a lot of it bats throughout the two thousands. Like it's not I don't know I think there's this sense and maybe Claremont perpetuates it you know in interviews and stuff sometimes that like he doesn't get to play the way he used to you know really post nineteen ninety one. He's had a lot of at bats in the two thousands. I mean a long extreme X Men run. We mentioned Excalibur, now back on Uncanny X-Men. Going to get a bunch of miniseries. He now has the the Marvel retirement plan of as many, yeah. you know, uh, five-issue minis as you want. Yeah, I mean, just this year, he did, like, a comeback uh, Extreme X-Men series. So, like, yeah. yeah he's, still, he's still doing it. So, like, he gets work and stuff, but I think the reason he doesn't get center-of-the-line work, yeah. you know, driving the ship work, is he just never evolved. I don't think in in sure, yeah. in the ways you need to to kind of be at the center of things still, um, and I think it stuff reads pretty tired, you know. 
Um, it's it's a little too familiar. I mean, and that's it's like again, we're talking about bats. Sixteen years on Uncanny yeah. X Men. It's not like the run didn't have <laughs> room to tell story. Incredible story. Story I've celebrated on this very podcast, right? Don't get me wrong. Um, but it's not like I haven't seen the vision. So I think if you're going to bring somebody back, to me, it's like, well, cool. What what haven't they gotten to say yet? Or um, how have they changed in the intervening years and and tell stories differently now? And I, in Claremont's case, I never get the sense that it's very significant, you know? Yeah. Um, and then it's just like, well, now we're just, now we're just trying to recapture our past. And that's kind of a doomed effort, I think. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. That's why I don't prioritize it. And I think in a lot of ways, probably why Marvel editorial hasn't prioritized it as well. You know, they're not always wrong, you know, often, but not always. All right. Let's talk about the best comics of this entire thing. Ooh. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Okay. Or this is just X-Men 188 to 193. So we mentioned yeah. the Peter Milligan run. I said, you know, it doesn't work for me. You know, what does work for me. Mike Carey run. It comes right after. We got Mike Carey. We got Chris. I looked it up at one point, Charlotte. How would you say Chris's name? Oh, yeah. yeah um, oh, sorry. Let me just switch back to Carlotta, which is my Italian uh, self. No. <laughs> I, from my Duolingo lessons, I think it's Bacalo. Bacalo. Don't, don't quote me on that, please. Okay. I don't actually know. <laughs> That's fine. No, as long as Duolingo is telling us it's Bacalo, I can I think, it. like, if an owl swoops into my, to my room to kill me, I was wrong. <laughs> Duolingo is so vindictive. I, people don't <laughs> yep. realize they are—they will get you if you misquote Absolutely. them. Um, but yeah, so we got Mike Carey, Chris Bacalo, uh, Bacalo, pardon, one eighty-eight to one ninety-three X Men. This is the Supernovas arc. This is the introduction of the Children of the Vault. This is an arc that was completely forgotten, basically, until uh, Jonathan Hickman came to the franchise in two thousand nineteen and said, "Hey, you know what X Men comics I like." My carry stuff, and now it's gotten a, a yeah. resurgence here in the 2020s. But um, these are good. I like these a lot. I really like. You know, we've talked about uh, Bacallo on Generation X. You know, in the 90s, yeah, and some other works there. I think has, and that's a series that, like, oh man, is it fun and cool while he's there, and then he leaves, and it it instantly loses a lot of steam. I think. Um, just I I don't always. Love the storytelling. I think it can get muddied and and difficult to follow. But I always love the idiosyncrasy of the style. Yeah. The fact that it doesn't feel like anyone else's. And like when it hits, like some of these Children of the Vault designs, you know? Yeah. It's super cool stuff that you don't like, see. Even like facial, facial expressions are often... I don't like the, the, the one that's struck me. Struck me, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> was the integration scene between Sabretooth and Cable where they're like just like face to face feel like they're about to kiss honestly yeah yeah, they're, yeah, like, yeah. they're just like nose to nose in each other's face they for sure and, like, kissed oh, yeah, <laughs> like for it happened for sure uh, but like I don't know Sabretooth like he has like a smiling but like half menacing half like just enjoying this expression that's just like so specific and perfect that I don't feel like many other uh, coming artists of this time could pull off. Like, yeah. there's a very... Went wants to be, like, very expressive art style. Um, and yet, sometimes, often, uh, too busy for me. <laughs> like, there's a lot going on, a lot of details. Uh, but, like, yeah, I, I... 
I that's when I criticize the, the storytelling. That's what yeah. I'm referring to. Is the business yeah, yeah. of it can get in the way of comprehension. Yeah. On my end, you know, there are definitely pages where I'm like, I can't really follow what you're trying to do here. Um, yeah. And sometimes that's kind of thrilling, where there's like an energy to it. But sometimes it's just confusing. And that, that's my yeah. Because often it's like scenes that shouldn't be this busy. Like I, I think one of my favorite uh, ba- uh, Bacallos uh, comics is twenty what fourteen sixteen uh, Doctor Strange with Jason Aaron, where yeah, like, yeah. he's like he gets to play with like weird huge beasts and and mystical monsters like <coughs> hanging around in New York, and like that's that's perfect for his art style. Mm-hmm. Um, this feels like too busy for what it's trying to be, but it, I don't know. It's still quite good, I think, and quite. It's original. Like, yeah, it doesn't yeah. look like... It feels like uh, most of the art of the other issues we've read feels like... Yeah, I've seen this before. I don't know if I've seen this artist before, but I've seen basically this before. Yeah, and style-wise, it's not especially similar, but it actually reminds me a little bit of the experience of reading, like, the action sequences of Fujimoto's Chainsaw Man, where Ooh, yeah, there's just so much energy behind it that it's like, well, I don't really know <laughs> what I'm looking at. <laughs> But I'm, like, so overwhelmed with, like, yeah. teenage just, like, like just excitement and action, you know, and just my fists are in the air and my blood's boiling, you know, like, in a good way. Yeah. And it's like that – Bacalo can hit that, um, I think, at his peak, which a lot of times he's on here, especially, like you said, like, when he gets to do new designs and action and monsters, like, like s- some of the best stuff, I yeah. think. He just loves um... – a jacket covered in big dots, like just <laughs> <laughs> big buttons. That's Who his doesn't? thing, and I, I kind of love it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, totally. Uh, now, Mike Carey is a writer that we have not talked about yeah. in Marvel. Well, I, you know what? I guess in the Ultimate Comics verse, we talked about Carey's Ultimate Fantastic Four, which is a bit of a letdown. Ooh, um, right, yeah. Yeah, uh, Mike Carey, to this point, had written Lucifer, uh, the yeah. Sandman spinoff, which is... Which we are soon going to read for the Sandman uh, wave of uh, extra issues. So yeah, which I'm get, super excited uh, about. Listen to for that. Yeah, I'm I'm pumped for loose for stuff. Mick Carey is also like around this time is also doing a really fascinating Hellblazer run. Um, so like loose for Hellblazer, they have a creator own book called The Unwritten, which I don't think is quite on par. But like, yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say like a, a really critically acclaimed Vertigo style writer yeah. does horror. I think particularly well. Um, X-Men is an interesting choice. I think if you look at that resume, you're not necessarily sitting there going, yeah, X-Men. But it's a good fit. It's a nice change of pace. I love what Carrie is able to do here with the narrative around the Children of the Vault with uh, creating a competing evolutionary challenge, essentially, right? Yeah. Um, Especially in the midst of Destination, you know? Like, like Carrie is very good at continuity and very good at working within it, but also is, is doing his own thing, you know? Like, this story could exist in any decade, but I think in the best way. Yeah. You know, where it's kind of evergreen. Um, and the Children of the Vault are essentially, like, if you remember the world from uh, the Morrison stuff, where Phantom X is from, and how it's just like a, you know, you can you can evolve and change and do a tons of time within that environment while time barely passes in the outside world. That's essentially what the Vault is. So you have this post-human group of superpowered individuals who are able to like evolve and perfect themselves within the vault and they come out and they're like no we're the superior species not you mutants right and that's kind of what this first showdown is um i can see why 
it kind of went forgotten for a while, you know, because it yeah. feels, I think there's an easy way to interpret it as kind of a flavor of the month. Okay, yet another powered group of, you know, designs without a lot of personality, like the actual children, quote unquote, of the vault, Sangre, Serafina, Fuego, Aguja, they don't have a lot of interesting personality in and of themselves. You know, I think they're, they're a concept. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like I, th- I think the concept overrides the character. So you don't have, or at least I don't have the lead villain to sink my teeth into. Yeah. In that way, which I think is what superhero fans are often looking for the most, you know, if you're going to create something new, like, you know, who's the new Dr. Doom kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and, but it, it's definitely something that it obviously has a lot of modern relevance and a lot of modern Does, legs without giving anything away. Yeah. Does my character keep going with X-Men for a while or is this like his, <coughs> yeah. his contribution? Yeah, like, totally. I, I'm curious if the children of the vault, like the, the end of this tease is that the children of the vault are going to stay a thing in his run. Does that, is that true? Or is this like, what, is that it for the children of the vault? It's not it. Um... At least for Mike Carey's run, I mean. Yeah, yeah, no, like it's Mike Carey brings him back. Uh, okay. It's not as it's not as central to his run as you might expect. Okay. Based yeah, on this, it feels like that's gonna be the. I mean, reading this, it feels like that's gonna be the core of his run, um, and so I I feel like that maybe that's why I that's what I was expecting. Um, so I I think I was expect uh, I was I mean I'm still but like I was kind of excited to keep reading his his run because I'm like yeah, that's that's an interesting. Uh, antagonist team for a continued story in X-Men like we've had the initial arc now let's see them keep being uh, an adversarial force for, for X-Men uh, I'm kind of disappointed that that doesn't quite happen because uh, that that feels like I mean now I get why they aren't as big a thing until very recently because it's like yeah you need them to have the, the room to develop into actual characters uh, which like I said isn't quite present yet yeah, no, I mean, there, there's there's some effort made, um, but Kara kind of kind of gravitates to some other things. We we definitely will or should read more of Carrie's okay. X Men verse. Yeah. I mean, it goes for a number of years here. I'm super glad we have this patron inspired episode because this is these are comics I would not have included the first go round, which is probably why they weren't on the original list. I just wasn't yeah. really aware of them in the way I am now. Um, but I'm they're a hundred percent worth including here the Supernova's arc, and I hope uh, fans or, or people listening along are getting the chance to read and, and enjoy as well. So, yeah. you know, if nothing else, shouts to Cody, Ryan, Kyle S. <laughs> for the patron-sponsored episode that lets us read oh, yeah. Supernova's, because I, I think that's super worth it. Um, but yeah, like, Kerry, he's going to do X-Men for a bit. He's involved in Messiah Complex, which we're definitely going to read next year. Um, and then he goes reasons? on to do the best uh, Professor X stuff of all time in uh, X-Men Legacy, which is another series that probably was not on my radar the first go-round that, that Super is now. So I'll have to find a way if I can weave that in um, okay. probably circa 2009, 2010. But, yeah, so I, I like these comics a lot. Um, I, I It's also like, you know, we talked about kind of a, a strangeness to this era of decimation, right, and kind of who the players are. Like, there's a strangeness to this team lineup even, right, of like, okay, we got a rogue at the head of an X-Men team with, like, Mystique and Sabretooth involved and Cable heavily involved. Like, it's it's kind of an interesting matching of parts. Yeah. You know? Um, and I, I really like Carrie's efforts to establish Rogue as a leader of the X-Men. I think that yeah. is... I don't think anyone else has done that. Um, and it's it's a, a nice vision that is outside of what we typically get. Yeah, that's... that's 
I don't know, I'm interested to, in having new voices in the table of X-Men leaders. Because um, I feel like it's been very much Cyclops and Emma for a while uh, yeah. now. And uh, yeah, having like some... And I, like that's, also, that's always a thing like in X-Men with the new mutants and stuff. It's like, yeah, having some of those younger characters graduate to being the main focus and being like the the ones we care about that are the center the center of the line uh that's something i i really like for for rogue for cannibal being a part of um of the team um yeah that's 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 part of the fun i don't know with having so many characters and so many titles and and so many years of uh of stories like yeah seeing see, seeing those characters ascend and graduate um yeah rogue rogue is like a character that i never i, I don't know i I find it interesting in her early days of Clement, and then I don't know, uh, never quite grabs me. It feels like she's always kind of on the well. I I'm, I don't know. She I f- I feel like she gets more fun in the nineties, but like I don't. I never grab onto her as a point of view character when I read X Men. Um, and now I feel like I have a, a a good view of what she can be and how she can be an interesting character. Um, well, Rogue, so yeah, Rogue's, I'm excited to see where it goes. She's definitely one of those characters too that like because she's not in new X-Men at all, you yeah. know? Like, there's certain characters that are just, they don't have any role in new X-Men, so they kind of feel, to me, as we, you know, like you said, like, we skip a lot of the other X-Men stuff where Rogue yeah. might be, but there are characters like Rogue, Gambit, Nightcrawler, that feel Storm. like they've been invisible, yeah. you know, per the My Marvelous Year journey, because they weren't a part of Morrison's vision and team, and then they aren't a part of, like, Astonishing X-Men, even, you know? So I think there's there's a number of characters that are like pretty ripe here for kind of like okay what is what is the modern lens on this person you know how have they evolved over time in so many X Men stories like what what interesting things can be done um, there's a lot of room to grow for Rogue and and I think Carrie's a good individual to yeah. to prioritize that because so much of it you know during this era too is like Cyclops and Emma you know it's the yeah. Cyclops and Emma show and you know you get some new players like X twenty three in the mix kind of as things grow. Um, but you got no gene anymore. Colossus just came back from the dead. But, you know, aside from that, that's kind of the most interesting thing he oh, does. Right, yeah. You know, um, Storm gets uh, has a big thing happen, which maybe we haven't talked about yet. <laughs> but yeah, kinda... she, she turns to baby. That's that's huge. <laughs> that's know. right. Storm, no, that's Storm, nobody turns into a baby more than Storm, right? Because <laughs> she turns into a kid <laughs> during true. those Shadow King uh, X-Men comics as well, I think. Man, that, like, just imagine, like, for a week... You were seven again, like, and then that, and then like that, that happened to you again, like, and that you wouldn't lose your mind, <laughs> like, like the strength of of you know uh, just like mental fortitude that Storm has, incredible, yeah. incredible. I'd lose my mind. All right, I think we did it. Yeah, hell yeah. I think we covered all these. Awesome. So again, all those issues are in the show notes. If you want to read along at home, if you haven't already, the issues we're reading next also in the show notes, or you can back us over at patreon.com slash my this year to see what comes up next. But yeah, part three is going to be a good one. We got three Ed Brubaker written comics. They're oh, all yeah. really flipping good. Um, it's a, it's a pretty lights out episode. And then as the year progresses here in 2006, we got planet Hulk coming. We got annihilation. We got civil war. It's a big year. For Marvel. Yeah, big year for big events, right? That's like that's some yeah. pretty big name, uh, big name Marvel events. Uh, yeah. yeah, interesting. Totally, yeah, huge stuff coming. So that's what's coming on my marvelous year. All right, anything we missed? Uh, as always, uh, please 
uh, go listen to Extra Issues. Please, uh, if you subscri- subscribe to us on Patreon, you have access to uh, episodes six months early. Uh, right now, we're about to, like next month, we're publishing, I don't know, this month, actually, probably, by the time this airs, um, the end of our Berserk uh, coverage yeah. with the Golden Age arc, which is like the classic uh, Berserk arc after the initial f- first few chapters. Um, and then we're moving on to Jeff Smith's Bone. And after that, Sandman. Uh, Sandman and Lucifer, which I'm incredibly excited about. I've never read either of those, uh, which is like surprising for me because it feels like Sandman is kind of like mythology uh, comics thing that I'd be right into. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm really, really, really excited to to discover that alongside uh, alongside Zach and maybe Dave if you want to to pop up uh, on an episode. Yeah, I'm gonna be super curious to hear your first time Sandman yeah. thoughts. Yeah, I yeah. think because it is it's one of those books that I I have it ranked as the second best comic of all time. Um, was hugely important for me getting into comics. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, as we've seen with like Invincible, you know, like sometimes things change <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, but I don't, I don't feel like that's going to be a Sandman problem that I have, but I'll be curious to see like, how does this hold up for you 30 years later? Obviously like, you know, just being adapted to TV and having some success, it seems like Sandman has legs. I mean, it seems like it's, it holds up, but I, I have not reread much of it. Um, honestly, I've probably never reread like the back half. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think beyond seasons of mist that I've ever reread it. So I, when you guys get to, like issue thirty or so, I might have to start doing every issue again just to remind myself of what oh, actually yeah, happens. Oh yeah, it's, yeah, it's too long. Yeah, awesome, awesome. All right, so check out extra issues. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I'm Dave. Find my stuff at Comic Book Herald. This is my marvelous year. Thanks to Zash Peace for the music. You can back us over at Patreon.com/slash/MarvelousYear. Rate and review on iTunes helps us out a ton. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you next year.